The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly Guest Dharma series. I didn't expect snow. <laughs> you didn't tell me. <laughs> I knew it was colder. I, I came. I actually came from Southern California, so I knew it was colder. But um, <laughs> but I'm glad to see it actually, because I hardly ever see it these days. How late does it go? <laughs> you know, with climate these days, you just don't know, so, anyway. Are we ready? Great. So, you know, as I was, uh, the theme of the, where should, where should I begin? So the theme that I thought that I would start with was, was a door into this aspect of community, and I was realizing when I arrived at the airport here, I got this hit, because I, I walked out of the uh, out of the gate and um, the baggage claim sign was translated into Japanese I think and that was the first time outside of either San Francisco or New York I've seen that and I don't understand Japanese because I'm Chinese and, and yet having that sign translated I just felt you know, I felt more included. Not that they were including me, but that they were including, there, there was this intention of inclusion. And, and I noticed that I felt that I relaxed a little. And, um, you know, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, earth shattering, but it was something to notice, as I was saying in the beginning, um, it's so important to notice when we feel good. Because in our culture, there are so many excuses not to feel that way, to feel separate from. The conditioning of the culture um, really predisposes to see how we separate. And so I really want to explore this, this precious experience of belonging. And the, um, the definition of actually the, the verb to belong um, is to show some concern, to, to be of importance, and to be connected to. And this really speaks to the interrelatedness, the interconnection that is inherent in these teachings. Sometimes it's verbalized as the net of Indra, that everything is related, that all beings, that we affect all beings, we affect the people around us, that, that um, it is not just about our own practice. And I... Um, uh, I evoke, not invoke, because it doesn't come from outside of us, but I evoke the words of Dr. Martin Luther King partially to honor his, the date of his assassination 45 years ago last night, but also to really feel how relevant his words are today, even after so many decades, that we are tied together in a single garment of destiny caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all. For some strange reason, I cannot be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. This is the interrelatedness that all spiritual traditions speak to in so many different ways, encouraging us to see and validate all the paths that we take 
so that part of that sense of belonging is to validate and, and, and hold all the paths that we walk in from, whether it's around spiritual tradition or background or culture or, or ethnic experience, gender, educational orientation, all those aspects of our identity. That, that we are invited not to leave any part of ourselves outside. And part of the, the practice of community is collectively creating that space of safety and kindness for our collective experience. And, you know, realistically, regardless of our backgrounds, whether they, you know, had um, different aspects of difficulty or pain or even trauma, we know that there is no space in this lifetime that's 100% safe. And our challenge and our invitation is to create a space that's safe enough because that is possible. Safe enough so that we can begin to feel some ease to feel some ease in exploring who are we who am I and who are we really beyond the verbal conceptual descriptions and part of that again is just being able to see oneself reflected and, and have ease in, in the space, in the community, to really feel what is a spiritual home for me, for us. You know, I, I, as I was saying um, when I uh, sat down, um, you know, through the efforts of Mark and Wynne and Tom and, and um, Shelley and, and Stacy and, and Jamie and Patrice and, and so many people have reached out to me and to connect that I felt at home even before I arrived. Just to, for me to notice that and appreciate it. And what allows a, spirit, a sense of spiritual home to arise? Maya Angelou writes, the ache for home lives in all of us, that safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. What kind of heart and practice inspires that kind of freedom? It's embedded in this practice. And often, for those of you who have gone on retreats, whether it's day-long retreats or residential retreats, we take the refuges. You know, even that word refuge is inviting us into some place of safety, some place that, oh, the possibility of a freer mind and a more open heart in this world. That's the first refuge in the possibility of a little bit more freedom. That is not dependent on any external conditions. And that, you know, just that particular refuge may seem like such a, you know, distant goal, and yet the second refuge that there is a path, there is this support. There are these teachings and this, these invitations and this guidance that is offered, has been offered over and over again across thousands of years with the support of literally billions of people practicing. You know, when um, one of the things that I love when I was practicing in Asia was... Um, uh, one of the Ajans said, whenever we take the refuges, there is always someone else in the world taking the refuges at that exact moment. That is how 
that is how universal these intentions are. And that these, these whether we're related by direct blood, but you know, that, that saying that, that six degrees of separation, it doesn't, it doesn't take much for us to actually be related to every being in the world. I was um, invited to do an ancestor meditation um, at, a, at a, a retreat at, at Spirit Rock, and I just sort of was feeling my way into what is the experience of ancestor. And so, you know, four generations is about 100 years, and that, that includes two parents, four grandparents, eight great grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents, that's about 30 people. Ten generations is 250 years. And if you count it up, that's about 2,000 people. A thousand years, that's, that's only half the life, less than half the lifespan of the Dharma. Dharma's about 2,600 years in this form. A thousand years, 250 generations. 2.2 trillion beings. doesn't take long for us to be related. And that is the empirical proof that, that these beings have been practicing over generations on this, in this refuge of Dharma. And they say that, you know, in, in sort of the, the, the jargon of Asian spiritual traditions, that there are 84,000 gates into these teachings, into these, the opportunity of freedom. And so 84,000 is, is really the metaphor that we use the word infinite for. What doors are most open for you? And go through it. You don't have to go through all of them. Because the beauty of these teachings is, is that you go through one door and you see the interrelatedness of all teachings. You go through one teaching and you begin to see them all. And that we don't do this practice alone. That, you know, in this particular generation of Western culture, there are so many ways in which we get programmed or conditioned to think that we can do it by ourselves, that, that, um, uh, that it's about my breath, it's about, it's about you know, my experience. And really, that's, that's not the intention that the Buddha designed this practice that it wasn't about going off to a cave and, and isolating, but that he actually created you know, the formal sangha of, of ordained communities in both male and female were dependent on the lay communities on a daily basis, that, that the, the monastic sangha would offer the teachings and the container for the the. Ex- the, the spiritual deepening and the, and the guidance. But they actually had to walk every day for their sustenance. That uh, when I was a, a monk in Thailand, that, you know, the part of the vinya was, was or the guidelines, the rules, or the, um, the precepts, um, was that I could not cook my own food. I could not buy my own food. And I couldn't store food overnight. So every morning, that's what you did. You walked and you felt that dependence, that interdependence over and over again. And in this sort of more complex world, as we've industrialized, as we have technology, as, as, as cultures have have come together and, bega- and, and more than interacted, we're not just talking about one community. We're talking about the refuge of multiple communities, that each of us have multiple communities in which we 
live in multiple circles. And that's where, you know, we can get our support in feeling that we don't have to leave our, a portion of ourselves outside the door. There's this um, passage from um, uh, the yoga tradition called the Radiant Sutras, and, and it, it, it speaks to this place that, 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 um, of belonging. There's a place in the heart where everything meets. Go there if you want to find me. Mind, senses, soul, all are there. Are you there? Enter the bowl of vastness that is the heart. Give yourself to it with total abandon. Quiet ecstasy is there and a steady, regal sense of resting in a perfect spot. Once you know the way, the nature of attention will call you to return again and again and be saturated with the knowing, I belong here, I am at home. Answer that call. And yet the reality, the practical reality of feeling like we belong is complicated. And it's not so simple. You know, there are often external conditions that are not necessarily, you know, anybody's fault, but it's, it's, it's a larger dynamic that causes exclusion or separation or even that subtle aspect of indifference that, that, that can create that feeling of barrier obstacle and what's even more subtle is the internalization of that external conditioning that, so that I begin to feel that I don't belong that, that I believe that I don't belong so whether it's a mainstream culture that treats us differently or unequally or that it's a family that refuses to uh, acknowledge us for who we are in the world, or whether it's a workplace that is, you know, that there's disparity in, that is difficult to change, or even in the experience of abuse or trauma that separates us. These experiences are felt in our practice. And even the best teachings can't be absorbed without the right conditions. So finding the possibility of belonging, the possibility of refuge and enough safety to begin this exploration is such a door for spiritual practice. If we are only interested in surviving in the world, you know, the defenses go up and we protect ourselves. But we know when we get still and we get quiet that our life is so much more than just surviving that there is a potential there. I may not even know what that is. But there is in the stillness the pull of this, the sense that I am more than who I think I am. That, that the community is more than what we think we are, that we think we should act a certain way or that we th- that think we should get along. This is where we begin to practice that sense of belonging for all of us. And each of us will have a possibly different take on it, what allows us to 
be at ease, what allows us to belong, what allows us to open so that the mind can be aware of itself. This practice really opens an opportunity for us to live beyond survival into our potential. And, you know, especially for those of you who have been coming here, you must sense that. Because this is a practice. This is not about a perfection. So I remember when I was... Um, in my early 20s, a while ago, um, in a former life, I was a, a park ranger, and um, I was a park, national park ranger, and I was um, stationed in southern Utah at, 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 in this small little town called Moab. Beautiful place. I mean, the landscape was awesome, spiritual, even though I wasn't. <laughs> and, um, and so... Uh, on my weekends, I would go and take these side trips and hikes. And, um, you know, here's this... Uh, I wasn't even out as a gay man. And I didn't look like most Utahns. <laughs> and my hair was down to here at the time. Kept it in ponytail. So I felt a little out of place. And I uh, went to the Diné, or the Navajo Reservation, and I was going to this Antelope Canyon, which is quite famous for its, you know, the, photo, the photography that's done there. And you needed uh, a Diné guide, so I um, uh, arranged for that. And as soon as he looked at me, he said, what tribe are you from? And um, I said, well... You know, I'm actually Chinese, and my parents are from Shanghai. And he did not skip a beat. He said, oh, we're all related anyway, because, you know, you guys came over the Bering Strait, and, and I relaxed. You know, with that, with that, with that reaching in to, to, to connect with my life, whether it was true or not didn't matter. It was the relationship that, that oh my God, I belong in southeast Utah. <laughs> you know, there was, a, there was a connection there that allowed me to let down some defenses. Are you surprised? This is in the Buddha's teachings. This is in the Vinaya. The occasion was this. There were two monastics living in Savati. They were of Brahmin stock, and they had fine voices and a fine delivery. Brahmin is the aristocracy of the day. They asked the Blessed One, Lord, now the monastics are of various names, of various races, variously born, having gone forth from various clans. They spoil the word of the Blessed One by using their own language. Let us render the words of the Buddha into classical meter. I love the response. The Buddha, the Blessed One, rebuked them. Misguided men, how can you say, let us render the words of the Buddha into classical meter? This will not rouse faith in the faithless or increase faith in the faithful. Rather, it will keep the faithless without faith and harm some of the faithful. Having rebuked them and given a talk on the Dharma, he addressed the monastics thus, Noble ones, the word of the Buddha is not to be rendered into classical meter. Whoever does so commits an offense of wrongdoing. I allow the words of the Buddha to be learnt in one's own language. Why is this important? Because at the Buddha's time, it was before um, the dynamic of, of written, the written word. It was an oral culture. This means that when you have a different language, you have a different culture. 
this means, what the Buddha was really saying and inviting, is that the Buddha's teachings is invited to be taught in within one's own culture. What does that look like? That, that, that expression of freedom that arises differently and yet the same. Ultimately, that question of do I belong here, do I feel comfortable here, is reflected in um, in his experience of awakening, in everyone's experience of awakening. But the classic parable, and so you know, like many traditions, the tradition of the Dharma is, is often taught through these stories, and you can they're archetypes. They're you know whether you actually believe the literal aspects of them or not. But, um, so, the Buddha sat underneath the Bodhi tree with this um, determination not to rise before the experience of fully being awake, being conscious, being, um, uh, seeing life as it truly is. And uh, the, the metaphor um, uh, of all those distractions in our lives that pull us away from this intention towards freedom, this intention to have this open heart and clear mind. Mara, um, sort of the antagonist of our life. So he sat underneath the Bodhi tree and Mara assaulted him He amassed all this power and armies to force Siddhartha, you know, the, the Buddha's given name, out of his state of meditative absorption. It is said that Mara caused unimaginable forces of destruction to arise and attack the future Buddha. The Mara created windstorms that could have uprooted mountains, but when they reached Siddhartha, the edge of his robes were not even ruffled. Mara called upon the maelstroms of tornadoes and torrential downpours to wash away and drown the meditating prince. But the floods didn't dampen, dampen him so much as a dew drop. And there were showers of rocks the size of mountain peaks, showers of hot coals, and showers of every conceivable weapon of destruction. And they all transformed into celestial flowers that fell at his feet. This is the metaphor, not just of our, the external uh, suffering or pain that, that is caused, but also the internal distractions and, and conditioning that we experience that pull us away, that attack the, um, uh, the intention for peace. And yet, they were all transformed into celestial flowers. They were all transformed into this possibility of peace. After nine of these unsuccessful attempts to unseat the future Buddha from his path towards liberation, an enraged Mara gathered hundreds of thousands in his army and the roar of their screams in the background, Mara declared to the Buddha to be, get out of that seat. That seat belongs to me and me alone. You do not belong here. How many times do we feel that in our life? How many times have we felt that external conditions have excluded us? How many times do we exclude ourselves because we think we're unworthy, that we aren't good enough, that... I can't follow the breath enough. I, sh I shouldn't be in this room. How many times do we internalize that message of exclusion? And a deafening roar from his armies extended in all directions, north, south, east, west. Yes, we are his witness. He belongs here, not you. And Mara continued, and you, dear prince, sit alone. 
who is your witness? And the prince, close to his liberation, undisturbed by any of these obstacles created by Mara, reached down with the simplest possible gesture and touched the ground. With his middle finger on his right hand, in doing so, the Buddha called upon the earth mother to witness his inalienable right to his dharma seat. And so brilliant was the power of the mother goddess that she appeared, that when she appeared, Mara and his, all his armies was dispelled into all four corners of the universe. That each of us deserves not just to belong here, but wherever we go in this life, in this world. I've actually used that story. I've, you know, I've recalled that story so that part of sati, which is the Pali word for mindfulness, is to remember what supports my practice and what supports my practice when I feel that I don't belong is to remember this story and that helps me. That I do belong, not just here physically, belong in this life. It's not about being, you know, belonging to a certain self or a certain identity. It's about being, belonging to this sense of life much greater than who I am. And that allows me to be who I am. There's, um, there's, nothing, there's, there's nothing like feeling a different. There's nothing like feeling different um, when you're a Westerner and you go and ordain in Asia. You really feel different. You know, even though I kind of look the same in this case with with the, with the community of monastics. You know, I'm bringing my Western psychology, I'm bringing my education, I can't speak the language. Um, and even though I felt different inside, there was something in the, uh, in the way that I was treated that I began to understand what it was like to belong unconditionally even if I couldn't speak the language. Even if, you know, as a, mona- as a male monastic, I had to hold 227 precepts, 227 sort of guidelines. You can call them rules, but whatever. No way possible you can memorize them in, you know, the six months that was ordained. No way you can memorize them in probably three or four years because the traditional training is about five years to internalize the rules. So you're breaking rules all the time. You know, you're wearing the robes wrong. And, and, so, and so, you know, and so someone would come up to you and just, like, rearrange a robe. You know, remember how your mom came up to you and just, you know, like, you know, straightened out your hair? It was that intimate. It was that relaxed. It was that, oh, you made a mistake. Of course you made a mistake. And I began to realize I didn't have to internalize that experience. I could internalize, oh, they like me anyway. (laughs) What an amazing experience. And as I went through the process of disrobing of, of offering bathrobes. Um, you know, I, I shared that through a translator to my preceptor, my Ajahn, and uh, he said, take that with you wherever you go. 
that sense of of caring, that sense of belonging. Something that maybe we might call self-esteem in the West. That is such a big issue, you know, in 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 our cultures. So I love these words from someone who I might call a Dharma teacher, Margaret Cho. (laughs) If you are a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, if you're a person of size, if you're a person of intelligence, if you are a person of integrity, then you're considered a minority in this world. (laughs) And it's going to really be hard to find messages of self-love and support anywhere especially in the women's and gay men's cultures. It's all about what you have to look like or how you look a certain way or else you're worthless. You know, when you look in the mirror and you think, ugh, I'm so fat, I'm so ugly, ugh, I'm so old. Don't you know that that's not your authentic self? But that's billions upon billions of dollars of advertising and magazines and movies and billboards all geared to make you feel shitty about yourself so that you can take your hard-earned money and spend it on some turnaround cream that doesn't turn around shit. (laughs) And when you don't have self-esteem, you will hesitate before you do anything in your life. You will hesitate to go for the job you really want to go for. You will hesitate to ask for that raise. You will hesitate to report an abuse. You will hesitate to defend yourself when you're discriminated against because of your race, your sexuality, your size, your gender. You will hesitate to vote. You will hesitate to dream. For us, having self-esteem is truly an act of revolution. And the self-esteem is not about being absorbed in self. It is about belonging to life. That profound sense of belonging that's rooted in the sense of being here with here, changing all the time. The present moment changes. And can you hold to that inner stillness of belonging right now without qualification, unconditionally? That's the invitation of these teachings. That sense of home that Maya Angelou was saying that we all are yearning for as we begin to relax, we begin to see the true nature, not just of ourselves, but of all of who we are. And really, that's the invitation of community, to see all of our differences and not feel separate. And that's some of the things that we'll explore this weekend for those of you who can, you know, join us. So I thought we have a little bit of time, and I'll save time for any comments or, or, or large group sharings as well. But um, we have a little time, and I thought, um, you know, I don't know how many people are in the room, but uh, maybe turn to a group of three. Um, and just to, the, the, the question that I would offer the sharing, uh, two questions. In what ways do you feel connected or in what ways do you feel you belong to these teachings, the Dharma? And in what ways, second question, (coughs) what ways do you feel that the Dharma belongs in your life? Because if it doesn't belong in your life, I'm not sure why you're here. You know, all of you have that sense that it, it is, there is some relevance somewhere. And to be able to articulate it and share it is a mindfulness practice. It actually strengthens 
intention and the confidence and faith. So I just invite you to get into groups of, uh, of three. And um, just to, so um, first question, in what ways do you feel connected or that you belong on this path, this dharma? And in what ways do you feel the dharma belongs in your life? So, and, you know, it's an opportunity to meet people that you may not ordinarily have contact with or you don't know very well. So please introduce yourselves. And then um, I'll ring a bell about halfway through. We'll have about 15, 20 minutes. I'll ring a bell halfway through, and then we'll gather in a larger group. <laughs> So just maybe even not falling quite back into silence, but just noticing that energy. And um, if there's anything that feels that is worthwhile sharing in the larger group, from either those questions or or the talk, or um, you know, you can ask questions. I'm personally I'm more interested in answers, but. <laughs> <laughs> And and part of that that recognizing that it fits in is remembering, because there's so many times that is there's a possibility of forgetting. So that and 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 that remembering, and I think that's you know even in the guided you know the light the diet instructions that I gave um, of not judging wherever the mind has gone, that is just remembering just remembering to be kind to the moment as it arises so that when we really need that capacity, when, I don't know, when a conflict with my mother arises, which it still does, and, you know, she's 96 and it's still... (laughs) That I I can just be there with that. Or if there's a conflict at work, or or if there's um, um, just being able to remember that the practice is always available. Did you agree? I was just saying, you kind of lost what even your questions were, but it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> just sort of, I, you know, we kind of went before, right. in our heads. Right, right. flowed and just easy. And it's still flying. And uh, I think one of the things, for me, that personally came out of it is the, the, the teaching, the first question was the connection. So it's, for me, it was, it's just so practical. I'm a very practical person. So I don't know if everybody heard, but at least the, fir- the, the first part of what he said was, you know, they, the questions fell away. The content fell away. But it didn't make the conversation irrelevant. It was still relevant. And, and you know, that's actually uh, one of the intentions of tomorrow is really to explore this, this aspect of relationship. Because it's actually the relational aspect of mindfulness that keeps us in community. That when the conditions internally or externally begins to fragment, 
It's the relational aspect. It's the connection. It's the remembering that I'm still connected to you that keeps us in the same room, on the same page, even if there's tremendous difference between us. And so community is really not always having pleasant feelings. I mean, life is not always having pleasant feelings. But it's the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Can we be present for it, for ourselves, but even more profoundly, can we be present together? And that's how we actually change the world. Please. So that's what was meaningful for me was to you know, go face to face with this small group of people and have this interaction is because I see everybody here all the time, you know, but I don't really feel as if I know them. Mm. And now these few minutes that I spent with these people, uh, just talking about our lives and you know, our idea of our practice or, or how it relates to a, our living. But now when I see that, these people again, I'll smile and, you know, nod at them and feel like I'm part of, you know, something. Rather than just a person in a a throng or a large group of, you know, something. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, there's a... How often do we get to talk about our spiritual experience in our life? I mean, how often do we feel safe? Do you feel safe at work? Do you feel safe at school? I mean, you know, you may not even feel safe in your family, necessarily. And so the ability to share in this, with this intention is so precious. And the more that we can create that landscape, the more that we can... Um, support ourselves to do that um, the more rare and precious it becomes I really appreciate that opportunity for several reasons and one is I want to back up and say this whole notion of belonging to life itself is really something I'm going to walk away with Mm. Um, I have my own stories about not belonging because of my sort of my activism, right? And while we're a flawed species, right? So I can always like say, well, I don't belong because you, 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 you believe that and I don't, right? So that's just always playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And so to have that sense of belong to, to life in and of itself, mm-hmm. I think is really going to be a salve mm-hmm. for that. And in our group, one of the folks I was speaking to kind of presented the question a little bit differently. Well, how did you say that? Was it how do we belong to the Dharma? It was just slightly different Mm-hmm. than what you had said and mm-hmm. I really didn't know how to answer that until the other person spoke first mm-hmm. and it was that, that relational thing how we can be incented and inspired by the next person's words and what came out of that for me is it's so basic right. it's like we belong because in um, I recently read The Power of Now and I love what he talks about is, is everything before you know the, the whole um, before manifest, before anything was manifested, mm-hmm. just that energy before anything is the manifest. It's like that's what I see belonging to, mm-hmm. and we all belong because of that. And it's the flowers that belong. It's us that belongs. It's the squirrels that belong, and it just opens up and softens the world that I walk in to mm-hmm. be able to to be mindful of that. And I, it, it's like two worlds that I live in. If I'm mindful of that, life is easy. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what's happening, mm. if I'm not mindful of that, it's it can be help. I can yeah. allow it to be help. Right. So that was a lot out of this little thank 15 you. minutes that you gave us. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Something about the framing felt like a very intimate question. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and and what it brought up was that. That this season in my practice, um, that the Dharma doesn't seem like, it seems like the sitting or precepts or community are all just the thinnest doorways into what I, I, I could only say is sort of right view of the heart. Mm-hmm. And and what came up was a memory when I was 19 I went to Asia to practice 
and I went to a monastery off the coast of China, and I was told that um, I would not be allowed to sit. I would only be allowed to chant because mm. women didn't have the mm. intellectual capacity to sit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you know, this sort of 19-year-old feminist, and I was like, you know, this is cultural myopia. Mm. But on, on, on some level, I, I distanced myself from that. Mm -hmm. um, but it also became a barrier. So this whole role of sort of cultural... And then I had to wrestle it, and when you wrestle it, then it all dissolves. Right. <coughs> so there's something about the framing of belonging that it's like that dissolved that stuff again. Right. And part of that question, or those questions, as well as the theme of belonging, is um, how does the Dharma belong in your life? How do you belong in the Dharma? Is how do you make this practice your own? How do you? How does it? How is it absorbed so that it is one and the same? I, no one who sits in this seat can actually define that for you, because. You know, even in the very, you know, minimal um, invitations, I, you like to, I don't like the word instructions, but in the invitations that I offered, you probably weren't following it. <laughs> because you're already absorbing it using what works for you. You're already, feel, you know, how many of you play a musical instrument? Do you play exactly like your teacher? <laughs> no. Because it's impossible. And, and yet the music is beautiful. And, and, and that's, what, that's what the practice, you know, it filters into our experience in so many different ways. I love, you know, that His Holiness, who I understand teaches here a lot, uh, and so you're so lucky, um, that His Holiness says, you know, take what you need and leave the rest behind. Because what doors of the 84,000 are most open for you to find that sense of sheerness, of belonging? Thank you. Other, please. That was, uh, that was a little bit, um, kind of, not necessarily befuddled by your question, but just kind of, uh, like I felt kind of unstable, you know, trying to think about it. And so I was thinking about it, and then I began to kind of combine it with the way Mark talks about the Dharma, which is, you know, he describes the Dharma as it's the way that it is. So I thought, okay, well, so how do I belong to the way that it is, and how does the way that it is belong to me? And that really, for me anyway, yielded a really powerful insight that, that well, of course I belong to the way that it is because it can't be any other way. <laughs> and, and the way, and, and, uh, and it, it just, like, even in the context of, you know, talking in the group, it just, you know, thinking about that, like, okay, I'm feeling kind of anxious about this because I always feel anxious when we have sort of these small group sharings, but I belong to this, and this you know, anxiety belongs to me, and that really helped me be a little bit freer, you know, with those, with those feelings. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I, I'm just going to say something that's completely different than what everyone was saying and sharing. Um, I, the one thing that came to mind why the Dharma, whichever question, not that it matters, but was... Who seems the path seems to be the least insane path <laughs> there is thus far. That's really what comes to me. Mm -hmm. If there is a more saner path, I probably would move. But mm -hmm. thus far, that's what comes to me. Mm -hmm. And but in sharing what you were talking about today, I was thinking about if belonging means this this much, and self-esteem, and and we all yearn for belonging. I was just wondering how um, 
we came about the idea of separation to begin with, since that's what we yearn for, mm. and how we come to, you know, exclude and be this and mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Just the insanity of that. Yes. I was just thinking about this. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's where um, uh, these teachings lead to all the teachings because, you know, your question leads to uh, not just, you know, that sense of separation, but it leads to suffering. What do we attach to? What All of a sudden the Four Noble Truths come up, you know, and, and um, you know, exploring... Um, uh, the attachment to pleasant sensations or pleasant relationships or 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 uh, things that don't have conflict and all of a sudden we're in the four foundations of mindfulness the second the second foundation of vedana you know so so um, wherever your interest your curiosity you know this it will pull you in if and this is where it's this um, for the lack of a better word, empirical process for me. That it re you know, in the beginning, um, there may be some, a little bit of faith or, you know, because someone told me that it worked or, but then I reinforce my own experience and it is, you know, if it's the best that there is for this moment, it's good enough. So thank you. But everything's related. They're not my teachings. <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's, it's a miracle that these teachings have landed in North America after 2,600 years across mountain ranges, oceans, continents, nations, cultures, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the journey that the Dharma has made is... I mean, it just is awe-inspiring. And there are places in the world, like Central Asia from, I guess, the current Middle East to Afghanistan, in which it was, at one time, all Dharma. And it faded. You know? And so even, even that has its ebb and flow. And so for it to arise 
you know, in this beautiful place in in our culture is, um, uh, you know, this why I always, in my own meditations, I end with a period of gratitude because it it just comes, it just comes. So, do do we have announcements yeah, or? I have a couple of announcements. Thank you for your practice and being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Larry, for being here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.